Hello everybody, my name is Ralf and I'm certainly an alcoholic Hello. and I'm also a fully conceited alcoholic. Have you ever had fun without enjoying it? I think a lot of people know what it means to have fun without enjoying it. I was trying this my whole life to have fun in my life, but I never really enjoyed the fun that I tried to have. And this is pretty much part of the, pretty much my life story. I remember one particular event which took place when I was like, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. I was sitting in the kitchen with the whole family, my parents, my two sisters, my brother. It was like a Sunday. We had lunch. We were sitting there. You know, we are the same family, the same bloodstream. We have the same thoughts, the same kind of feelings. And I was sitting there, and somehow I didn't feel like I'm belonging. I was sitting there, and I felt alone. And I'm pretty sure most of you can imagine how it must feel. I mean, when you're in a, in a foreign country abroad, you are traveling, or you meet new colleagues in a new company, and you meet new colleagues the first time, it's pretty obvious, pretty normal, that you feel alone, that you don't know whom to talk to. But when you are at home, at one of the most secret places where you can be, where you should feel like you're taken care of, and everybody loves you, and you're sitting there, and you have this inner conviction, I don't belong here. These people have nothing that can help me. You know, when I tell you what thoughts I had like 40 years ago or, you know, ideas or realization that I had 15 years ago, I didn't know that back then when I was 10, 12 years old. Everything I'm going to tell you about my drinking and the years after, emotions, realizations, conclusions, I didn't have them back then. I learned all this as a result of working the steps. I didn't know any of this when I was 12 years old. You know, I never approached my father talk, saying to him, Dad, we got to talk to each other because I don't feel quite well with myself. I don't feel like I'm belonging on this planet and I have issues with life and so on. And apart from that fact, my father was an alcoholic, so I never could talk to himself. And about 40 years after this event, I ended up in a similar situation. Again, this kitchen table situation. But let me tell you briefly what happened in between. My drinking was pretty much that of an average alcoholic. You know, I had the normal stories. For an alcoholic, my life was normal. You know, I started drinking when I was 25. I didn't have any issues with alcohol before. I could go to a party, drink, get wasted, get hammered, and not having any necessity, any strong feeling for alcohol the next day or the weeks and months after. And I started alcoholic behavior, alcoholic drinking behavior, obsessive behavior in around 25, you know, like one class a day, two classes a day, then several times a week until I finally, within a relatively short time, became alcoholic. I studied. I was very successful, like many, many of us are very successful. I was living abroad for like 10 years. I had all the usual... I mean, for normal people, it's exceptional when we tell our stories. But, I mean, if I would tell you all my stories, most of the stories, you would say, okay, I didn't have this particular event happening in my life, but you all have similar stories. I mean, the only story that I always love telling is at one time I was living in Asia for a number of years. We went to a party in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. You know, we had our own big pool, naked in the pool and whatnot. All When we were totally hammered, we went into the jungle that night. And you don't walk into a junk. And I found it funny. And I mean, all those people who were not drinking as we did, who wouldn't come with us even into the knee-high grass, I thought they are cowards. They don't want to have fun. 
You know, there was a drainage system. We walked like 100 meters into the jungle and back. And I found it great afterwards to talk about it. Like I mastered some particular strong adventure. And I thought I'm like a hero of having done this. And people didn't understand why I was doing something like this to begin with and feeling so great about it. I was very successful in my business. I made a lot of money. I was living in pretty much all areas on this planet except on, let's say, Iceland or so, or the Northern South Pole. You know, it's very difficult to get alcohol over there, I guess. I never would have made it over there. <laughs> so, you know, nothing of it was spectacular if you take the measurement of an alcoholic life. It all changed a little bit about 10 years ago. Back then I was living in the United States, down there in Miami Beach. I had my own apartment, you know, overlooking the bay of Miami, all the islands. I could see the cruises coming in and out. I had next to no furniture in a huge apartment, just a chair, a glass desk, and nothing else. And like a plastic mat on a concrete balcony, not even the balcony was equipped, and I was sitting there getting hammered every night. You know, a very expensive apartment, no furniture, no nothing, just getting hammered every night. I was living there, and I remember there was one day, it usually took me like three cans of beer in order to feel okay. You know, when the music is okay, when the neighbor starts to be okay, when everything seems to be just fine, and I don't want to kill half of Miami, and, you know, afterwards, I would drink, let's say, 10, 15, 20 more cans, depending on how well. You know, sometimes I had a good day, I drank 20 beer. You know, when people have a good day, they don't even drink three beers. So, and something happened. I drank my third can of beer and nothing happened. I drank the fourth can, drank the fourth can of beer, nothing happened. I didn't feel anything. So I drank 20 more and I, you know... Gave it to the pizza. Maybe the pizza was bad. Maybe I had a few or something like that. So I wrote the whole day off, like I wrote many things off in business, and said, okay, let's try it again the next day. The next day, next day, the same procedure. I drank three cans of beer, and nothing happened. So I drank the fourth and the fifth. And so it went on for several days. All of a sudden, I still had the body of an alcoholic. I still got drunk. I still couldn't talk or walk or do normal things when you have like 10, 20 cans of beer. But I didn't have the mind of an alcoholic anymore. Alcohol did not do to me anymore what it did all those 16 years before. It didn't give me the ease anymore. It didn't take the edge off anymore. Normally, alcohol would give me a two, three hour window every day where I felt the way I thought normal people feel. I don't know how normal people feel, but I never felt that way. <laughs> so that's why I usually don't give any advice to normal people. I remember I'm in my first year of sobriety in Miami, a girl asked me for some relationship advice. I gave her advice. She fortunately did not relapse as a result of it. So I completely stopped doing this. So what happened there is all of a sudden alcohol stopped working. I was racing around in my apartment. You know, I, had to, I woke up at 10 in the morning. Usually I wouldn't start before 6 or 7 p.m. because only alcoholics start drinking at like 3 p.m. Now, within one hour, I needed alcohol and it didn't work anymore. That's the most terrible thing that can happen to an alcoholic. If you have the slow descent into the final stages of alcoholism, you develop certain procedures like any kind of medication that you take in order to adjust yourself a little bit to it. But in my case, it worked until the very end and bam, it stopped working. And I couldn't drink alcohol anymore in order to ease myself, but I needed it. I needed it so badly. So eventually I called a friend of mine who brought me in contact with a doctor 
who happened to be an alcoholic himself, German-speaking doctor living in Miami. And when I called him Sunday, he knew exactly what's wrong with me. So Monday morning, I made it into detox in Miami. I stayed there for about a week, and I got removed from alcohol. Without detox, I would not have been able to stop drinking. You know this one story in the big book where one alcoholic asked the other one, could you think not drinking 24 hours? No way, never. I would never have been able to stop on my own. So I got removed from alcohol, went to meetings, because the doctor told me if you don't go to a meeting after you're dismissed from the hospital, I give you two or three days and you will drink again. And from that day on, from the first day in the hospital, I never had obsession again to drink. And this is kind of good because I never had to fight alcohol. I was never sitting in front of 7-Eleven asking myself, should I, shouldn't I? But it also did something to me that was not very healthy. I went to AA meetings because for the first time in my life, I felt like I'm belonging. I was meeting very nice people, especially down there in Miami Beach. It's usually a place where you start drinking and using drugs. It was for me the place where I stopped drinking. I mean, I never took any drugs in my whole life. Everything that I know about drugs today I learned in AA in Miami. <laughs> so, and you no, know, it was a great place. I got sober down there. I had a sponsor, but not because I felt this inner necessity to do something, simply because everybody had a sponsor, so I needed a sponsor. I had two sports cars back then. So, I mean, if everybody has a sponsor and I don't, how would I look? So I need a sponsor on top of my two sports cars. I would meet with him like every three weeks or so to eat sushi. I wouldn't work the steps. I did, I acted as if, but I never really worked the steps with him. One and a half years later, I moved to L.A. I met a lot of very good people over there. Still didn't really work the steps. Somehow made it through. But at least I went to as many meetings as I could. After two and a half years, I had to move back to Germany. You know, for a long time I called it, I made the decision to go back to Germany because I want to get back to my roots, make amends and so on. A decision normally means that you have two choices. You can say either yes or no. I had no more money left. I had no decision to make. I had to go back to Germany because I was broke. Within only one and a half years, I had accrued as much debt in sobriety as it took me the seven years before during drinking. I mean, I was trying to make very successful business, and I was close to it, to become like, like a multi-billionaire, at least in my mind. And then the Internet crashed, so did I at the same time. And, you know, I, co I copied the same mistake from my drinking into sobriety. I found an alcoholic who looked like a very important businessman, which he wasn't, of course. So I made the same mistake again, and then 9-11 killed our business. So after two and a half years, I had to go back to Germany. And I had, at this point in time, more than 1,000 meetings under my belt. And that eventually would save my life. I could go to, go to as many meetings as possible, listen to every speaker, to every advice, ill and so on, and the good ones. And I remember shortly before I left L.A., I met a couple from Germany. And they told me, be careful. In Germany, meetings are terrible. No big book, no sponsors, no steps. And I didn't believe them. I thought they are spies of the deceased, just, just trying to test me. So I went back to Germany. I went back to Germany. My mom took care of me again. I had like $180 in my pocket, so I needed a place to stay somewhere. And I went to my first meeting there, told my story, and later on I moved in, uh, to Cologne, went to meetings over there, and... You know, I went to as many meetings as I possibly could. In Germany, we don't have as many like in L.A. or Miami or New York. But after like a year or so, 
I felt again sitting in one meeting and I was asking myself how many minutes will it take from now and I will go to a bar and drink. And I had this feeling, I don't know what's going on here. And I, you know, today I remember this kitchen table event again. I was sitting together with people who got the same disease, the same problem, the same challenges, the same feelings I had, the same thoughts I had. But again, I had this conviction, they cannot help me. Something is terribly wrong here. I so badly wanted to work the steps because I remember from all those people how happy they were looking. I see so many happy faces here. And I wanted it so badly. I wanted to live. I never wanted to commit suicide in my whole life. And I didn't know what to do anymore. And I was sitting there, four years sober, being convinced nobody here can help me. You know, I was convinced these are all just these BMW meetings. You know BMW meetings? Bitching, moaning, and whining? This is pretty much... This is how I titled them. It's not that I had anything against these people, but you know, I had so many problems on my own. If I want to listen to my problems, I go home, sit on my couch, and listen to myself. I don't need to go... I don't need to go to a meeting to listen to problems. You know, the big book says there is a solution. I want to hear solutions, not your problems. I don't need new problems. I create new problems pretty much every day while I'm not working the steps. So it took me another one and a half years and I made it back to English-speaking meetings and I was in southern Germany. I went to a few conventions uh, which were made by a few guys from the U.S. Army and eventually I came to a, con okay, a convention here in Veldhoven back then in the Netherlands. And I remember I was meeting a guy down there from the United States and I asked him, where do you come from? He asked me, I told him my story, that I'm looking for a sponsor, yadi yadi yadi, and that I was living in the United States. And he asked me, where, do we, where have you been? I said, Santa Monica. And then he showed me his badge. It was saying Santa Monica. And I asked him, what's been your home group? And he was saying 29th and Broadway, which used to be my home group. So I told him my story and all the, you know, this feeling of getting flushed down the toilet rapidly. And I told him, I need a sponsor. I need a sponsor who had worked the steps and who had had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. And this guy was in the Netherlands to make amends. That's been the only reason why he came to the Netherlands. So it was just a coincidence that he went to this particular uh, place there, to this in, uh, what is it, convention. So he pulled a card out of his uh, shirt one business card from this one man whom he knew from Los Angeles and he told me, here is a card of a guy who does long distance sponsoring. He's even sponsoring people down there in Australia from Los Angeles. And he asked me, do you know Mickey Bush? And I was saying, of course, I was living in LA. Everybody knows him over there. So I took this card, went home and of course did not call him. Of course not. <laughs> I was afraid if I tell him the whole story. So it took me about another two weeks or so until I had to leave a German-speaking... Look, when I say anything about German-speaking AA, I am not against AA or against German-speaking AA. It's just my personal experience that I'd like to share with you because most of the trouble in my life started after I stopped drinking. Stopping drinking did not solve any of my problems. So I had one particular event where racistical statements were made in a meeting and I asked the chairperson to stop that and he didn't so I left the meeting, went home and I tried to call a friend, he didn't pick up the phone. I tried to call a former German sponsor, he didn't pick up the phone. So I called then my our sponsor in LA and told him the whole story, how sad I was. You know this feeling when you wake up in the morning, you leave your bed and you're already awake for like 20 minutes and you're already terrorized 
before leaving the bed. 20 minutes, you are going nuts like crazy. I'm leaving my bed, going into the shower, and within 60 seconds, I want to hammer my head against the tile to make these voices stop in my brain. In case you're asking yourself, what voices? Exactly those voices that make you ask you now, what voices? Those voices... <laughs> Those voices that run crazy, you know, this whole comedy, every voice wants to compete with the other. I am the best voice you ever listen to. No, you are not the best voice. Listen to me. You know, this kind of craziness every morning. I just make it through the day so I can fall, go to bed at night. And then it takes me five hours to fall asleep until three in the morning. And then I have like two or three hours halfway healthy sleep. I mean, I didn't sleep at night. I was simply unconscious. And then again, the same wake-up process, year after year after year. And I told him all this, and I asked him, would you sponsor me? And he said, yeah, let's try it. And I said, Mickey, I only want to know one thing from you, just one thing. Everything I just explained to you, all this horror, this terror rising, will this go away? And he said, yes. That's been his only answer. And I told him, I'm at step eight, that's where I left off when I left Los Angeles. And he said, oh yeah, that's good that you want to make amends getting back into life and so. But let's talk about step one for a second. <laughs> so, he asked me then three, uh, three questions. One was, what does powerless mean? And this is when I started working the steps later on with him. Because he wanted to make sure that I know what I'm talking about. Because I cannot solve something, I cannot solve a problem, and I don't know what the problem is. You know, there are people who don't work the steps, so say very clearly, I don't work the steps. At least these people know what they are doing. What's far more terrible is what I did. I was convinced I'm working the steps, and I did not work the steps. That's terrible, because eventually you have to start inventing bullshit to justify everything that you do and don't do, because it simply doesn't make any sense. And that's what happened to me. So he asked me, what means powerless? Like it says in the first step, and I was saying, yeah, powerless means, you know, when I start, I can't stop. One is too many, a thousand, not enough, and he would say, no. That's not what powerless means. Then he asked me, what's the first step in recovery? And I would say, we admitted we were Nohal. That's not the first step in recovery. And then he asked me, what is it about you that makes you alcoholic? And I would say to him, you know, when I drink, I land in jail, I get divorced, I lose my driver's license, I can't have a second. He would say, no. That's not what an alcoholic, that's not what makes an alcoholic. That's the result of being an alcoholic. But that is not what makes you alcoholic. And you would say, you see, I asked you three questions. You couldn't answer one of them. So no wonder that you fail with the rest of the program. A few years ago, there was a video clip on the internet showing a building, like a six-story building in Turkey, and they tried to, to bring it down. So they would take, they would bring explosives down to the basement, bump it, and the whole building would just fall down. So it didn't fall into itself like it should disintegrate. It would just fall down. All the windows were still okay. The plumbing was still okay. Electricity was still okay. In other words, you still could have used the whole building, but it was useless because the first step or the first floor didn't work anymore. And this reminded me how I was working my program. You know, I can make an inventory for as long as I want. If I don't understand what the problem is, it doesn't make any sense to do an inventory because I do it for the totally wrong reason. You know, I always thought if I could... I can hold it. <laughs> you know, if you work the steps, you can no longer say you are powerless. I got so much power already, you can see even the equipment fall off. <laughs> so, and 
At this point in time, I didn't really understand why, Mickey, why, he, why my sponsor was doing all this to me, but later on I understood, you know, it's like when I have an apartment without electricity. What's the first thing that I do? I don't go to my neighbor and ask him to do all the cooking for me so at night I can flame it up with a little bit of heat. I don't paint my cat with illuminating color so I can see it at night so I wouldn't step on it. You know, I don't prepare things. I don't walk around with a light flash at night. The most, I mean, as an alcoholic, as an alcoholic, of course, I would do all this. The last thing I would do as an alcoholic is to start paying the money back to whatever the company is that provides electricity to me. That's the most natural approach that I would do. And I didn't know any of that. So why would I work the program? Just to stop drinking? There is far more to it than just stopping drinking. Eventually, like it says in the preamble of the big book, it is about finding God. I do not have an alcohol problem. I didn't know this. You know, my sponsor told me, if alcohol is the problem, not drinking is your solution. And he would explain to me, and he's then, you know, I had to understand, I didn't know all this. You know, I thought if I just behaved the way I wanted to behave, eventually the inner would follow and I would become the person that my acting would show me or want me. And it didn't work. It simply didn't work. Nothing of it worked. So he explained to me, Ralph, if you don't know what the problem is, you will never be able to work a solution and you will always do it for the wrong reason. So he helped me to understand what is it that makes me alcoholic? The allergy of the body. We all know about the allergy of the body. Once I start, I can't stop. But it's also the obsession. What's an obsession? It's a thought excluding all else, including recovery. That's what an obsession is. Once I have the obsession, I cannot stop anymore. You know, we often hear these advices, just don't take that first drink. If I would be able to just not take that first drink, I wouldn't be here tonight. I would not be an alcoholic. Normal people can just not take that first drink. Call your sponsor before you want to drink. If I want to drink, it's not even the last thing on my agenda to call my sponsor because I know exactly what he's going to tell me. And, you know, when I really want to take a drink, I don't even have the power to pick up the phone. I mean, I had so much trouble working the steps when the certain power was missing to do things. Do you, does anybody believe I can really make the... I don't make the decision when to drink and when not to drink. The disease will make the drink for as long as I get no power. So, he later on also continued to explain to me what powerless means. I, mean, I didn't know that my perception of reality was wrong. I remember many years later, my mom had a bad day and I told her, drink a schnapps and you will feel better. And she told me, no, I don't feel better when I drink alcohol. Life does not change when I drink alcohol. The neighbor is still ugly when I drink alcohol. <laughs> so all these... And it took me a long time. You know, all the damage alcohol did to me. I mean, I had a lot of damage done to me before I started drinking because alcohol for me was an attempt to solve my problems. You don't start drinking just because you had a bad summer or you failed some test or your wife left you. I mean, even heavy events don't make you drinking. You cannot become an alcoholic by just drinking enough alcohol. There has to be something wrong with you before, which has been the case in my life. I didn't know all that. I didn't know that stopping drinking has no effect on my alcoholism. Simply no effect. You know, recovery does not stop once I stopped drinking. Recovery does not even start when I stop drinking. Recovery starts when I start working the steps. I can be sober for 20 years with zero recovery in me. 
You know, there is a difference between being sober and sobriety. If I don't drink for 10 years, then I have been sober for 10 years, but I may have zero sobriety. I didn't know all that. I went to meetings, I dressed up, I showed, I mean, I did everything to look nice on the outside, but I was dying on the inside because I didn't know what the problem was. I didn't know that all this distorted perception of reality was still active in my brain. You know, people say, it's irrelevant what you think about other, what other people think about you. What I think about other people is relevant. And I always think, that's bullshit, that's wrong. What this guy thinks about me is important, what he thinks about me. But, I, later on I understood, when I go to bed at night, everything that's happening in my head decides whether I fall asleep right away or after seven hours. And what you think about me, I don't know. What I think you think, and makes me think what you think about me, to think what you think about me. That's actually what's good. I mean, these are the thoughts that I'm having, that I had every night. And these thoughts kept alive in sobriety. People say life gets better, just go to meetings. If you ask thoughts, off brings it to the meeting. No, life did not get better. Life got worse. I had my pink cloud for like two weeks, the first year, sort of, okay? And then it just went down. And I could realize how I was getting flushed down the toilet faster and faster and faster and faster. Because I didn't know what the problem was. I thought if I just say that I'm an alcoholic, that would make me an alcoholic. I mean, listen, I'm an alcoholic. I know how to manipulate people, and I'm very sure I'm not the only one here. <laughs> if I gain any advantage of admitting I'm a nun, I will admit I'm a nun. If there's only one way to come into a restaurant, which means to convince the waiter I'm a nun, I will tell him, listen, I look like a man, but I have converted. I belong... I belong to a particular denomination that allows converted men to become a nun. You want me to drop my pants? You know, it may take a few attempts, but eventually I get in there being a nun. However, and this is what, what my sponsor then told me, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you admit in meetings. It has to be, like the big book says on page uh, 30, we had to learn to fully concede to our innermost self that we were alcoholic. So first I have to know, what is it to be an alcoholic? It's the obsession of the mind, it's the allergy of the body, plus the perception that I have a distorted perception. So what's now my innermost self? I can admit it as often as I want if I don't really have it deep down within me. You know, like when you put a hand once on a hot stove, nobody ever has to tell you again to not do it. No matter how drunk you are, you won't put your hand on a hot stove because that's so deep down within yourself. And no alcoholic is stupid enough to say, okay, I burned my left hand, but maybe the right hand works. <laughs> so I can give that one a try. And maybe if the hands don't work, I can put my ass on the hot stove and try this one. You won't do that. This means, and even, even if you see, if you, never, if you never burned your hand yourself, you see other people do it, and you know precisely what's going to happen if you do it. That's so deep down within yourself. And the big book says, we learned that we had to, which means it's a process. Recovery is not an event. It's a process. I had to learn that I had to fully concede to my innermost self. So I had to find out, what's my innermost self? Working on it on the, with my sponsor. I mean, the first step, the step before the steps, and it took me, I think, four weeks or so before I was through it, before I knew exactly what it is to be an alcoholic, what makes me alcoholic, what makes me tick the way I tick, why I still have all those problems, my life is getting worse and worse and worse, and my thinking far worse than it was before. I had days when I was sitting in a meeting saying, this is not what I got sober for. And that's one of the most dangerous statements an alcoholic can make, because this means I'm back on my road to a relapse. 
and not to recovery. And I learned to get this into myself. Then I had to learn what does it mean to be powerless because so many people say I'm powerless over people, places and things. I'm not powerless over people, places and things. In order to come here, I had to have enough power, even if I had a drink yesterday. I had to have enough power to read the bus schedule, to buy a train ticket, to get a car, to ask someone. So I'm not powerless over people, places and things. I had to understand what we deal with is alcoholism. We are not dealing with being totally crazy when it comes to hold a job or relationships or whatever. This will somehow get sorted out later on in 4, 5 and 8, 9. But when it comes in the first step, when I have to understand what my problem is, it's just alcohol, alcoholism and nothing but. I can be as crazy as I want to be and I have every right to be as crazy as I want to be and I make sure I keep my right to be as crazy as I want to be even today. It got nothing to do with the first three steps. You know, when it's, for example, says in the second step that we came to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity, What's sanity? It's insane the way how I drank. There is no sanity in the way how I was drinking. So if it's insane to drink the way I was drinking, ask an expert what sanity means. What means sanity for a human being? There are different types of sanity. There is psychological sanity. There is philosophical sanity. There is legal sanity. There is medical sanity. You ask 10 people, you will get at least 11 different answers because one might have more than one answer for you. If it is insane to drink, then for me it is sane to not drink. And that's the only sanity I needed to be restored to. I have not been born an alcoholic because I didn't drink after I came onto this planet. But I didn't know all this. I thought when I make the second step, I have to also believe that all the other craziness is going away. Like I'm waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning having great ideas about a book to write or a movie to make. I mean, weird ideas. I don't want to tell you about any of these ideas tonight. But... I didn't know. This is not the sanity that we are talking about in these rooms. When we talk about sanity, what we mean is you don't have to drink no matter what as a result of working the steps. There are no rewards for going to meetings. You know, people say, just go to meetings and you will be fine. My experience is no. If I go to a gym and look at the machinery, I won't lose an ounce of fat by just going to the gym, looking, looking, looking and looking. It doesn't do anything. And it doesn't make any sense to read the instruction manual with a group of people standing around the running belt and after we read the instruction manual, we talk about what we just read. It's different reading an instruction manual and actually doing what it says. That's why in my experience, it never helped me to go to big book meetings or 12 and 12 meetings and just read and then later on talk on what I just read if I don't know what I'm reading, if I don't, understand, don't even understand what all this is really about. And I didn't know all this. You know, I was hearing all those phrases that we hear, and what do I do as an alcoholic? Because I want to sound like you, because I want you to love me. I want you to like me. I want you to accept me. So I copy what you say. I'm a little child. I mean, I have the mentality probably of a three-year-old, if I'm lucky, when I came to the, into the fellowship. So what do children do? They mimic their parents. They say what their parents say. They act like their father. They act like their mother, like uncles, aunts, and whatnot. All. And this is what I did in AA. So obviously, I copied all the mistakes, but just listening to what people were telling me, I didn't know nothing. So after five and a half years, when I had reached that point, hitting bottom, what is a bottom? I didn't know. My sponsor asked me, what is a bottom? And I would tell him, well, a bottom is if I lose my job, if I end, in end up in jail, 
you know, my driver's license, all these things. And he would say, no, Rob, this is not hitting a button. This may bring you to hitting a button. This may actually help you. It might be a good assistance. But this is not hitting button. Hitting button is something like when you say, God, what's wrong with me? I cannot help myself anymore. I want to kill myself. Help me. Help me. This is hitting button. It's the very process that brings me back to God. Hitting bottom is that one step that I have to take in order to ask people that I used to hate because of what they were talking about in meetings. The people that I didn't like or hated the most later on became part of those people that helped me the most. I have to come to a point where I make no more conditions. You know, I tell my sponsees, yes, but sentences are not answered. Now, when I say something to a sponsee and my sponsee is saying, yes, but, I don't answer the sentence. Yes, but means I disagree with what you are saying. Yes, but means I got something better. So, and he told me this. At one point, he would even hang up the phone because I was interrupting him while he was talking. So, I had to call him back. Since then, I never interrupt people anymore. You know, one event from my sponsor changed something that I didn't know how to solve it otherwise. And... He gently then worked me through the first three steps, helping me to understand what I never had understood before. So I did research on the internet, just to you know, just to learn what I hadn't known before. Because in the first, what does it mean that the first step we always say you have to do it 100 percent? What does it mean to do the first step 100 percent? What does it even mean to work the first step? You know, the title is saying here to precisely show how we did it. How do I work the step? You know, I, had, I, I didn't know all this, so he taught me all this. He guided me through it. He gave me work that I had to complete to understand all this. About one-third of the big book, one-fourth to one-third, deals with the first step. If one-third of this lovely big book, which is the experience of about 100 people, if one-third deals with just one step, then it must be more to just say, my name is Ralph and I'm an alcoholic. And there must be something to it. And that's why it took my sponsor so long to guide me through it. But I somehow knew this, per this man is spending his time with me, no matter what's on TV. He always has time. He always answers my questions, if he doesn't hang up the phone, of course. And I know, I knew, somehow I knew, no matter how bad I felt, something is changing here. Something is really changing here. And later on, so it went through the steps. I don't want to go through any of the other steps right now, for otherwise, you know, we would celebrate Christmas together here. <laughs> Last year in May, I did actually a German-speaking step workshop. Anybody who wants to listen to German-speaking step workshops, please come to Nicola or me after the meeting. In Germany, we now have German-speaking step workshops, the first time ever. I did this in Vienna last year when I was invited, and it took me about five hours just to talk about the first three steps, which is very important. And most people were amazed because they never heard any of that, like that we don't have an alcohol problem, whatever else I was saying. Why did I do all this? No, why did I do all this? Why did I go through all this you know, inconvenience, to put it mildly? You know, my fourth step, and later on also the immense. It was not a joy, right? You know, I hear people say, oh, I love my four steps so much. Well, probably because you didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't have no fun working my fourth step. Like the 12th and 12th is saying, we will suffer severe reactions. I remember days when I came home from my work in Munich and I was so excited. I was on fire. I wanted to start my computer and continue the fourth step. I entered the door and I had this 
terrible resistance, this total dislike, and I couldn't even start my computer. So I had to overcome this bad feeling. This is also something I learned. I don't have to wait until I feel like I'm testing, can work on my fourth. Forget about your feelings. The big book is saying we have to change our thinking and feeling. How do I make decisions in my life? If I'm intellectually biased, I think about it, or if I'm more, let's say, emotionally bound, then I let my feelings make decisions. So thinking and feeling is the only way how I arrive at decisions. If I have to change my thinking and feeling, why? Because it's rubbish. It's of no use. So this means if I have to change my thinking and feeling, I better listen to my sponsor who told me, I don't care what you feel, just do what I tell you. Just do what I tell you. If you don't feel like I can do my fourth right now, sit down, pray, call me, whatever. But do it. Just do it. And that's how I was walking, working the steps, and there was no fun. But what is different today? What has happened in the meantime? What, for example, means the promises? When we talk about the promises, if I promise you we will go to cinema on Wednesday, Wednesday night, 8 p.m., 8 p.m. let's say, that doesn't mean we will go to cinema Wednesday night. Something might happen to me in the meantime. I may have, I may have an accident. I may find out that I don't like you. The cinema may close down, so if I tell you, promise, right now, I mean what I say, but five minutes later it can be different. But that's not what the promises in the big book are. The big book is pretty much based upon the Sermon of the Mount and a few Psalms from the Bible. What does the promise mean? It's like a physical law, like the law of gravity. If I take this candle, open my hand, it will fall down no matter what, whether I do it, whether you do it, whether it's night or day, Africa, Malaysia, it doesn't matter at all. It's a guarantee. And that's what the promises are. Everything that the big book promises me is a result of working the steps, not a reward for going to meetings and a reward for being nice to other people. You know, the outer behavior is a result of the inner change, and that's it. We have to have this entire psychic change. This is more like, well, you have to adjust some of your social behavior once in a while or so. It means an entire psychic change, so that I don't get angry anymore when people say something to me. You know, like the bedevilment say, I cannot change my inner, my emotions, my feelings. What does that mean? Somebody is saying something, I get mad, and I have no choice to become unmad. I don't know how to do this. I will be mad at you no matter what you say, and I cannot control it. So, when I did all this, step by step, something happened in my life. Something happened in my life that I didn't even notice. I remember a few years ago I was in Hermione in Greece at the convention down there, and one speaker would tell a story. He was like, I don't know, late 50s, early 60s or so, when he would stand under the shower, you know, with the toothbrush singing and dreaming of winning singing contests. And then he would say, this is typical alcoholic grandiosity. And I would say, no. Why does this have to be typical alcoholic grandiosity? What is if this man, because if you do something on a regular basis, you're either completely nuts or you might actually have a chance doing so. You know, nuts we shouldn't be. Nuts means N-U-T-S, not using the steps. So, and I was sitting there and saying, what is it, this man is actually a singer. He may have undeveloped or underdeveloped vocal facilities, but what is if he gives it a chance? And I was saying to myself, it doesn't always have to be grandiosity. What are my dreams? What did I like doing when I was a young kid or when I was like in my early teens? I liked to go to parties, the few parties that I was invited to, 
And I just would walk into the middle of the crowd and start talking, entertaining people. I had no text. I would improvise and I would make everybody laugh. I could, this is a gift that not many people have. How did I end up in business? I ended up as a, as a mathematician sitting behind a computer writing software, which is the most stupid thing that you can do if you have all these, you know, artist, artistical gift. So I was saying to myself, what is if I'm a born comedian? What is that? So I started working on that. I went to classes. I got a director. I started acting classes, speeching classes, and whatnot all. And I had my first appearance in public about one and a half years ago as a first try. I will have the next one coming Thursday. And in the second half of this year, I will have my first tour through Germany. And it took me only like four and a half, five years to develop all this. I'm moving away from, you know, people sometimes ask me, Ralph, are you completely crazy? How is it possible that the man who uses it behind a computer is now standing on stage entertaining people? And I'm telling them that's the wrong question. The question must be, how can a man who belongs on stage can hide behind a computer for more than 25 years? You see, I'm not here on this planet to suffer. I do not have to be suffering. I do not have to have pain in order to be a good alcoholic. I do not have to go to meetings and tell the most terrible stories, how my cat feels and how I feel and how we try together to, you know, solve our problems, our relationship problems between cat and me. You know, if I come to a, you know, once I made a joke, seriously, I went to a meeting and told the people, in Germany I have to say, I went to the meeting and was saying, I feel so terribly good today, I need to talk about that. You can imagine how these people felt. And... You know, I'm here on this, the big book is saying we insist upon enjoying life. We are all children of God. That's what, we, what I have been taught. A lion can only give birth to a lion. A rose can only bring forth a rose. So a God can only bring forth a God. We are all children of God. We are like God. It doesn't mean I am God. I'm an expression of God. He wants me to be happy, joyous, and free, no matter what I do, no matter what dream I have. Imagine somebody would tell you tonight, no matter, you don't have to drink again. We all tell this constantly, but imagine someone could tell you this in such a way that finally, deep down within yourself, you would be convinced, if I work this program, then I don't have to drink again. No matter what happens, never ever again. Imagine that fear would disappear from your life, that you might end up in a bar or so and drink again. Imagine this would be gone. Go back to your childhood dreams and ask yourself what you then could make out of your life. I have seen accountants, you know, doing bookkeeping who are brilliant salespersons, who are just hiding behind it because they have that fear. What is if I go out and talk to people? If I sell cars, machineries or whatever, I might drink again if I do this. Imagine, I can promise you, someone can promise you tonight, you never have to drink again, never ever in your life. You can take all your childhood dreams and do with your life whatever you want. This is exactly what this book enables us to do. This is what we have sponsors for, who make us understand why we have to do the things and how we have to do those things. And this is what I'm doing today. I'm actually moving away from my business that I was doing so far, from all the money that I made so far. People tell me, Ralph, you cannot talk about business in an A meeting. Why not? Now, should I tell you how sad I am? Should I tell you, oh, I have some kind of interesting news for my business life? Why not tell people what I'm doing this? You know, we come to meetings because we want to see people 
What are they doing? What is this guy doing up there? He's talking so conceptually. I don't know whether he's a CEO or a butcher. He's just talking about a new business. So, of course, we keep telling people what we are doing. We also talk about the problems we have because we are honest. If I would tell you I have no problems, I would be lying to you. Of course, I have issues every day, but I know how to deal with them. I can have depressive days and yet I feel okay because I know it's going to be better again. It won't be worse again if I keep doing what I'm doing. This is what this program is about, to give me a chance to do what God always wanted me to do, to be happy, to be joyous, to dance, to stand here tonight, to say what I want to say, no matter what you think about me, to just express myself the best way. If every human being would do this, if every human being would find out what is it that God wants me to do, and just work on this expression of him or herself, if everybody would make sure, I will be fine, not egotistical, but just doing what God wants you to do, we would have no problems on this planet anymore. I don't want to go outside AA right now, but just imagine, <laughs> and I'm certainly not going to change the world tonight, but just imagine if more people would walk into meetings like we do here tonight and tell each other what we all can do with our lives if we just want to do it, if we move our ass, if we stop fooling ourselves and just work the steps. Life can be so great and you never have to sit again at the kitchen table and ask yourself whether you belong. I do belong. Thank you. Thank you.